Perhaps you've read this in a book, you've seen it in a movie, the scene where the main character is, is running across this, this deep chasm, running over a high, narrow stone causeway, and things are shaking and trembling and breaking and shattering, and the stone is cracking, and big chunks are falling down into the pit below. And as he runs and moves forward, the bridge is falling apart behind him. Everything's falling apart. You got to run like mad just to stay ahead of disaster. Will I even make it? Well, that's something which evokes a lot of emotion and it resonates with a lot of us because sometimes life feels like that. Now, as we come to Isaiah chapter 25, which begins with these words of glorious praise, exalting our God for his power, his salvation. We need to understand that this chapter comes after a long string of judgment. Chapter after chapter after chapter, God exposes the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the devastation of sin, the brokenness of sin, and through the prophet, he judges sin, and he announces destruction, and he shows nation after nation where sin leads, that the wages of sin is death. And amongst that huge list of nations in the previous chapters, even, even the people of God are included in there. Even Jerusalem will be judged by God for her sins. And then we come to chapter 24. And the whole earth is under the judgment of God. The wrath of God upon sin. Now Isaiah is one of the prophets who gets most lifted up in ecstasy as he speaks the word of God. He, Isaiah, saw the vision of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, high and exalted in the temple in chapter 6. And his language, Isaiah's language, deals with Israel's present and future with Israel's sin and judgment and punishment and exile and restoration. But as, as Isaiah preaches about these things and prophesies things that are happening many years in the future, he can't help himself as the Spirit lifts him up in the ecstasy of divine revelation. And he preaches not just about Israel, but he preaches about the world. He preaches about the church Catholic. He preaches about the whole world and all of history. That the world will be judged. That the world will be destroyed. But also that the world will be restored. And in his language of judgment, Isaiah reaches down into the eternal horrors of hell itself. And in his language of salvation, comfort, and restoration, he reaches up into the eternal joys of the new heavens and the new earth. And here in chapter 25, we're in this section of Isaiah, which is sometimes called the little apocalypse. Chapter 24, 25, 26, and 27 
It's like a little book of Revelation embedded here in Isaiah, talking about the end of all things, about heaven and hell, about judgment and salvation of the world. This is a big picture that Isaiah is giving us. And so in the chapter just before, chapter 25, he's come to describe judgment on the whole earth. And if you look at that chapter, there's some pretty powerful language there. God really really comes down with wrath upon an earth that is mired in sin and rebellion against him. What do you do when something's really dirty? What do you do when you've got a rug that's filthy and you vacuum it, but it's still dirty? You take that rug outside, you hang it up, and you beat it. You beat the dirt out of it. And the dirtier it is, the harder you whack it. And that's the picture we have in chapter 24. It is language of cosmic destruction and judgment and cleansing. And the language evokes the language God uses to describe the great flood. Just take a look in your Bible, chapter 24, verse 1. He will empty the earth and make it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. Look at chapter 24, verse 18 and 19. He who flees at the sound of the terror will fall into the pit. He who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. The windows of heaven are open, just like in the great flood. The foundations of the earth tremble, just like at the time of Noah. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. Everything's falling apart under God's judgment. You know, We look around at the world, and that's what we see. This New Year's Eve that began this year, or just at the end of last year, this New Year's Eve was a subdued celebration in many places around the world. Less optimism in the air. Bloody wars all over the globe. Ukraine, Sudan, Gaza, Yemen, Afghanistan, Somalia, Congo, Libya, Syria, Ethiopia. Conflicts with millions suffering, displaced, reduced to poverty, starvation, sickness, and death. And there's the decline of democracy in the West, influenced in history by the foundational principles of Christianity. Those foundational principles eroded more and more, and in their place, raw, brute power, shameless corruption, enrichment of cronies, Persecution of political opponents and dissidents. We live in the West where Christianity used to be the influencing factor in society. Then it became just tolerated. Now the environment is openly hostile. You can get canceled if you're a Christian. You can lose your job. You're quickly seen as hateful if you just say what the Bible says about basic realities of everyday human life. We look at the economy, the soaring inflation, the basic necessities of life are more and more expensive. The grocery bill is higher, the rent is higher, the mortgage is more expensive. Young people look around and say, wow, you had it good, dad and mom, because I don't know if we can afford a house. What kind of a world are we growing up in? You look at relationships, breaking down between husband and wife, parents and children, siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ. You you look at yourself and you see your body 
breaking down. The older you get, you've got chronic pain. There's infertility. There's cancer, other frightening diseases. And, and even if you have none of that, you know, everything's fine. In your life, just age itself tells you it's coming. Stiffer joints, slower mind, less energy, less strength, more ailments as the outer tent wastes away and breaks down. Now, what do you do? What do you say when everything is falling apart? When everything's falling in pieces around you, what do you do? Do you run like mad to stay ahead of disaster? Do you say, woe is me? What will become of me? What will become of my children? This is what we do, brothers and sisters. We do what God teaches us here in chapter 25. We worship, O Lord, O covenant God, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Now, when the Bible uses that term wonderful things, that's a word often used to describe the great Mighty acts of redemption as God brought Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt in the great exodus. You have done wonderful things, great acts of salvation. Look through plans formed from of all your eternal decrees, your sovereign decrees. Nothing comes by chance. Nothing is random. Everything comes from the Father's hand. It's faithful and sure. Your eternal decrees are sure, and the promises finds not just comfort, but joy in a world where everything's falling apart. Because he sees that God is at work. Look at verses 2, 3, 4, and 5 as you scan those verses. God is destroying the root cause of sin. He's the power of the city of man. The nations conspire together in vain. He will break them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He will make the city of man's power a heap, the fortified city a ruin. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and they will come. They will bow the knee. They will confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord. Strong nations will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you there in verse 3. And all of the problems, the pains of poverty and affliction, persecution, all the hot anger and the hatred of the ungodly. It's like water off a duck's back to the Christian. Because the believer confesses with the prophet here, God is the stronghold of the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. All the sound and fury of a world of sin and the powers of darkness and destruction, God shuts it down. God is a, a wall between that and us, his people. God subdues the noise. He puts a lid on it. He pours water on it and extinguishes it as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. And instead of all that catastrophe and brokenness and everything falling apart, God, as he shelters us under his love and care, in the presence of our enemies, he sets a table. 
on this mountain. The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Who will do it? God does it. God has planned it. God makes it happen. God sets the table. God invites to the feast all peoples. Everyone is welcome. His arms are wide open as our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross had his arms wide open to call the whole world to faith and salvation in him. God invites us to the feast. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come, all you who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. God's not giving us just the minimum here. He's not giving us hard rations, not the bare necessities just to survive. No, that's not who God is. That's not what God does in the presence of our enemies. As this old world falls apart, as it should, because it's broken with sin, it's groaning because of sin and the corruption of sin. And as this old world falls apart and falls away on the mountain of God, God's people celebrate. They feast on the best food and the best wines because they have every reason to celebrate. They have every reason to rejoice. That's why Paul when he's in prison and he writes his prison epistles, he goes on and on about it. Rejoice, my brothers and sisters. Again, I say rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's why James says, you know what, brother and sister, count it all joy when you meet all kinds of different trials. Why? Why should I rejoice? How? How can I rejoice? Because he sets a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And your cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is breaking down? What is falling apart? Is the world the way it is? The world the way it is not supposed to be. That's what's breaking down. And the more it breaks down, the more it falls apart. The closer we are to the great restoration. The world the way it was made to be. The more things fall apart, the more we see that in Christ all things hold together. A new world, a world without sin, a world without the curse, a world without the groaning of creation under the curse, a world without disease, a world without brokenness, a world without pain and suffering and death. That is why we're celebrating. That is what we are celebrating. Look there in chapter 25, just after our text. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the covering of the curse. 
that covering of the burden of the guilt of unforgiven sin, that veil of separation, that sin which blocks the sunlight of God's love and condemns sinners to perpetual darkness. God's God's going to swallow up that veil, the shroud of death, ripping it off this world. As through the work of Christ, God swallows up death forever so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. God will wipe away a tear from every face, says the prophet. A tear from every face, because every face has a tear. Everyone has their fears and their burdens, their worries, their anxieties, their suffering. God says, my child, I have taken away your reproach. Cast your burdens upon me, for I care about you. God has set the table. God has invited us to the feast. And we feast as a congregation, the communicant members here and and the shut-ins looking online as they're feasting on Christ in the Word and seeing Him with their eyes in the sacrament. Also the catechumens and the children and believers who are here who are not under the pastoral authority of these elders. All of us together, even the children, we feast today as we see in the supper the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this, this meal here is kind of like the restaurant at the end of the universe. It's rocking between time and eternity, between the fallen world and the new earth. As we sit here at this table and we look back and we look around, we see everything falling apart and we get a glimpse of the infinite depth of the pit as we meditate on the price that Jesus paid to, to save us, to redeem us, that he suffered the agonies of eternal hell itself. But this this meal also rocks us forward from time to eternity as we look up and as we look forward and as we are lifted up into the heavenlies in the spirit and as as we are fed with Christ, the bread of heaven, and as our eyes see the glory of the new heavens and the new earth and the marriage feast of the Lamb which is coming as we taste the beginnings of eternal joy in the presence of our Savior. Brothers and sisters, the more things go bad, the the worse things get, the more reason we have to celebrate. What does the Lord Jesus tell us as he outlines in the New Testament the afflictions and tribulations that will come upon the world at the end of time? He says, you know what, when you see these things happening, lift up your heads for your redemption is near. And so you look at the end of this chapter and you see the prophet describing people who who love sin and hate Christ. And they're desperately trying to keep things together. They're desperately trying to stay afloat to keep their heads above the surface of the filth of the sin that they are drowning in. But those who hate sin and those who love Christ, the children of God, are lifted up on the mountain, saturated in abundant and overflowing blessing. Brother and sister, maybe you're looking at your life and maybe everything seems to be falling apart 
in the world, in your own life, in your family, perhaps your own body. You know, the temptation is to run like mad, to run from the disaster. And God says to you this morning, my child, that's not the way to deal with it. You need to stop. Come to the table. Come to the feast. Everyone is welcome. Every background, every nation, no matter what your life has been or is, come to the feast. Come with your fears, your anxieties, your guilt, your grief, your sin, your pain, your unworthiness, your brokenness. Know that your transgression is forgiven that your sin is covered in the sight of heaven, that your reproach is taken away. Come, feast with Christ, the one who has conquered death, the one who wipes every tear from your face, who looks down with love upon the lowly, who fulfills his plan for you, who keeps his promises, who will never cast you off or forsake you, the one who is giving you today a taste of your eternal tomorrow. God has set the table. Come to the feast. Amen.